Nice buns, soft, fluffy, and ultra low net carbs. Discover Hero Bread, the delicious ultra low net carb bread with incredible taste and texture. Hero Bread has zero grams of sugar and is under 100 calories per serving. Plus, high in fiber with 5 to 10 grams of protein per serving. Order from Hero.co now and get 10% off your first purchase with promo code AH10. That's 10% off with code AH10. H-E-R-O dot C-O. Welcome to Game Over International. It's our final day of Beijing 2022 coverage, and we're going straight to the panel today because we don't have to do the intro anymore. Everybody knows what we're doing here. We've got Tic Tac Tomar, Omar White, and Sean Fitzgerald from The Athletic to cover the last day of the Olympics. We had the closing ceremonies this morning. Overall, guys, how do you feel? I mean, I think there are a lot of positives and maybe some disappointments when it comes to Canada's performance overall but again for me I think there are a lot of like meaningful stories and and things that took that that took place that I think will stand out for a lot of people even though maybe some of them may not have resulted in actual medals I think there are a lot of stories that took place and a lot of uh, things that we'll think about you know after after everything is all said and done so um Maybe some some moments kind of like uh, I guess left us uh, you know wishing and hoping for more. But again, I think the, a lot of the positive stories that uh, that that came to be from this year's um, Olympics were pretty solid. I think you're going to take a look at certain moments, certain memories. Like that's the thing, right? You, you know, years from now, when you guys are old like me, uh, and your memory <laughs> starts to go, uh, you're going to remember certain snippets, right? Like 2000 uh, in Sydney when you guys were both just in elementary school, if even that. Um, <laughs> Like, I remember Simon Whitfield. Um, I remember Daniel Agali. I remember, you know, Donovan Bailey from 1996. There's moments, right? So I think out of this, I'm going to remember the moments. I'm going to remember, I'm speaking personally, you know, I woke the 10-year-old up to watch the third period of women's gold medal game. And you're going to remember the hell out of that moment. Um, you're going to remember other moments that might not have been um, anything related to the podium. You're going to remember... Jennifer Jones, you know, the story of her walking through the media mix zone and hearing a younger Japanese curler telling reporters, you know, you know, after they just beat them saying, you know, I'm glad that we're here with team Jones. She's my favorite. And Jennifer turns around and gives the curler a hug and the curler has a moment to say, you're my idol. And then revisiting that later when team Jones didn't make the playoff round team Japan did that they had a long embrace, which really kind of is emblematic of, of what these damn things are supposed to be, right? It's supposed to be the spirit of competition. It's supposed to be the sport and unity and all of those things that all of the soft drink commercials try and peddle, um, but actually take place in spite of the organization. Yeah, it's funny that it, despite the corporate nature of the games, all of the, what you would expect to be cornball pretend things actually do take place in the Olympics like that camaraderie of sportsmanship and that does exist. Not everywhere. I mean, I'm not sure if you guys read uh, like Mark McMorris's comments after the whole scandal of judging over the, uh, the slope style event where he basically went in on Max Perot and then called all the other sports boring. And I was like, Whoa, man, like you don't have to go that far, but there is a lot of that in the Olympics. And I think that is what you enjoy most of it. Like the things that I think of as something that I'm going to remember forever are things like Sarah nurse breaking the, the scoring record for uh, women's hockey in the Olympics. Then there's on top of that, like she was the first black player to ever win a women's hockey gold medal, Huge. like just sends chills down your spine. How cool that is. And we had uh, Eric Ayala on the, the stream, the show that, uh, after that happened, she was talking about like the young girls who were going to be inspired by that moment and have like nurse on the back of their shirts, their whole life growing up. That's so cool. And then at the same time, you've got Mary Philippe Poulin scoring her seventh or si sixth and seventh gold medal game goals and her third golden goal, like just ridiculous what that uh, women's team was able to accomplish. But there are great moments. Uh, I think it's Stephen Dubois and Isabel Weedman both 
uh, medaled three times, gold, silver, and bronze in these games. So that's pretty cool as well. Like there's there's little snippets, but I feel like overall, like Sean, you and I talked about this both times. I think that we were on the on the show that these games never really was felt like they in the took morning. Off. You're gonna have to refresh my memory. <laughs> yeah. I don't remember. <laughs> which which time was it? Which which uh early morning raising event was it? Yeah, every was morning. Six thirty in the morning was it? Was it for Tokyo? Was it? Uh, <laughs> are we talking Lillehammer? When the hell were we talking, dude? Just this, these Olympics uh, that uh, people didn't seem engaged with them, right? Whether it was through the politics of it, they were keeping people out of it, the time of day, or maybe the performance throughout the first stretch there. It just seemed like Canadians weren't on it. Now, the ratings for the gold medal game for the women were spectacular. I think it was uh, peaked at 4.9 million. But outside of that, it, it does seem like it never really connected overall. To, to me, anyway, and that's what my thoughts were. Yeah, I mean, the time zone is a problem. Um, you're reading the schedule, and it says, you know, 1,700 hours plus one. And to a casual viewer, like, what the hell does that mean? It's like, okay, well, the days moves and that. Um, and then you have, yes, obviously the real-world news cycle um, and the situation in China. Um, and then you have the fact that the Tokyo Olympics ended approximately 33 and a half minutes before the opening ceremony in Beijing. And I mean, the unfortunate thing that, you know, there's a lot of stuff in our news cycle here in Canada and in the United States where people might not just have the bandwidth to deal with that sort of thing. And um, maybe just are kind of sick of, you know, just following new things. Um, there's a whole bunch of things that I think you throw into a salad bowl and mix up and, and that's what you get. There was certainly no lack of storylines. Um, but yeah, you're right. Like, you know, you think of even Tokyo time zone was an issue, but think of all the storylines that came out of there. Right. I mean, Andre de Grasse, just to name one, um, nobody really seemed to break through other than, you know, the women's hockey game, which, you know, on NBC in the U S drew a higher number than any NHL game this year. But other than that, mm -hmm. yeah, the ratings haven't been great. Yeah, I think that's maybe the biggest takeaway that I have from these Olympics is that the people have spoken on women's hockey now, and I'm no longer even, I mean, I never was interested, but I no longer want to hear or see people who are like poo-pooing the idea of getting women's hockey on broadcast television. Like the time is now we need to capitalize on it because very clearly there's a market to see the best players in the world play each other regularly. And we need to get this done now. I know that the PHF is pushing things in interesting directions with some of the broadcast deals that they have. Uh, I really like their idea of putting things on Twitch. Obviously, apparently I'm a streamer now, never done this before this year. <laughs> now I do it almost every day. So it's a, like there's something there, but I feel like we also have to get traditional media on board to broadcast these games and give these women somewhere to play. Like yeah. it, it's absolutely absurd that we're still toying around. And I know that the PHF exists as a professional league, but clearly not all the players are on board with it. So there's the PWHPA, which plays games sporadically around the country, but we, we've got to do better by these women because very clearly people want to see it. They deserve to be seen. They're elite level athletes. I need it in my life. <laughs> I'm just, yeah. It's the amount, I think between Canada and the United States, it peaked at around almost 8 million people watching at once. Right. So like that's pretty damn good for hockey. Yeah. And to that point, I mean, like, um, like, and also kind of like a personal story here. I mean, watching the gold medal game and again, watching Sarah nurse, like do what she's doing. And again, setting history, Black history in Black History Month is, is significant. Like my my little sister texted me ecstatic um, that that was taking place. And I think that's that's the main thing that we need to focus on is the fact that we are aspiring young lives like all around the world. Everyone, people are watching this and you can look at the numbers. You can look at the at the the, the intrigue on, on social media like like people care. And to your point, Andrew, people want want um a platform for this to be seen regularly where where you know we don't have to like you know go over different hurdles and different and hula hoops and stuff to to, to be able to watch this so you know i i hope that when it comes to like takeaways you know we're obviously we're talking about like you know personal things that, that we all have seen i hope you know someone has been watching this and, and is seeing the intrigue and is seeing the significance of, of what this women's team 
meant to so many people and how if there's any time to capitalize and i'll capitalize on i think it is i think the time is now definitely no and omar i mean to add to your personal story with another personal story um the uh the very first family sporting event that uh, we did as a group was yesterday and we went to take the kids we have a seven-year-old and ten-year-old uh to watch the ryerson women's hockey team play against york and it's just incredible hockey um but our seven-year-old daughter has become obsessed with marie-philippe poulain uh, identifies her every time she's on TV and was enraptured by watching uh, that game yesterday. So, I mean, yeah, like, you know, we talk about inspiring the next generation. Like, d- this is a tangible thing that's happening in households across Canada right now. And there are excellent outlets to watch the game here, um, even at the grassroots level, at the university level, where you can go out right now for 10 bucks and go have a really good time watching hockey at a local rink. Yeah, like it, it. That is one thing. Like women's hockey, I feel like is much more approachable, uh, especially for kids, and that's something that's it's good. But also, like we need to do our part as as media. I mean, hey, you know what? TSN has five channels. Can all doesn't all need to be the same thing? Let's get some other stuff on there. Uh, calling them out slightly, but you know, sports are the same thing. You got multiple channels. Let's uh. Let's get some women's hockey content out there. I know it's not as easy as just saying they've got channels. We've got to get broadcast deals in place. We've got to have a place for them to play. But to me, this is an easy decision because the market is already there. You just need to invest in it. That I, I just I don't see where the barrier to entry is here outside of it just being not the men. You know, like it, that's the only thing holding it back from investing investors you know like that's that's the only thing there was a comment here uh saying a great moment was uh, niels vanderpoel beating the 10,000 meter world record on slow ice beating the person in second by 13.86 seconds testament to his athletic ability absolutely and i think i read that he wasn't feeling well that day or something like that like he'd had <laughs> food poisoning the day before he's just a nutcase like i subtle flex a subtle flex yeah <laughs> Like I have a friend on uh, on social media, Ann Lauer, who fault like was a speed skater growing up and like a speed skating coach, I believe, at some point. And she's friends with a couple of the girls that uh, won uh, silver for Canada, I believe, in in long track. And she said that this guy Niels Vanderpool does like a, a essentially almost like a marathon on a treadmill every night, Couldn't just be like. Me. That's like his workout <laughs> regimen. It's like <laughs> that's like not even human. Oh, He's no way. One hell of an athlete. So yes, absolutely, he is fantastic. Uh, other big highlight moments for me: uh, watching Charles Hamlin win gold in his final race in mm. the, in the men's relay. That was especially fantastic because he's just he's an athlete that's brought so much success to the canadian program and is such an inspiration for everybody entering that sport to to see him get that last final moment it was incredible yeah honestly and like yeah like we've been talking about there there's so many like like feel good moments like and it's funny like sean like uh, you brought up um you know me and andrew's age like for, for me, like Madeline uh, Skizis, 15 years old, just has a standout performance and like literally like clutches Canada like um, into into the qualification aspect of, of the of the, the group figure skating event. And it's just like, like I'm thinking about myself at 15, like <laughs> like I'm walking around like my high school high school hallways with like big over ear headphones and like plaid and stuff and then i'm watching you know madeline just like on on the biggest stage has the most pressure of like any 15 year old at that moment and just performs um so it's and it's just like the reactions from not even her but also like the team like when the camera panned to the team they were just losing it so it's just like it's it's those moments i think are are are, are the times in, in Olympic competition where I think, I think stand out the most and also just like resonate with you because you just think like, like not only are they, are they standing out? Like, you know, overall they're standing out at such a young age. And again, just, you know, you know, uh, being a huge contributing, you know, a factor to the team when, you know, when the team needed it the most. So definitely a shout out, a shout out to her. Like that was one moment that definitely, uh, definitely, you know, kind of got the heart racing a little bit for sure. 
Absolutely. Uh, I found the, the tweet that uh, Anne sent me earlier. Nils Vanderpool trains by running all night and only stopping when he sees the sun come up and going on 600 kilometer bike rides. That's the nastiest thing I've ever heard in my entire life. Right? No I'm, 45, I'm 45 years old. I'm pretty sure I bike 600 kilometers in my life. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So, I mean, get me those long skates. Oh, oh my shit. God. No. Nope. That no. is incredible. Like, hey, it paid off, right? <laughs> I, obviously. At that point, you just give him the gold before he even skates. Like, <laughs> Honestly. Honestly. What's your training regimen? Okay, okay, here you go. Just take it. Take it. <laughs> Unbelievable. Oh, my God. Now, obviously, I feel like there was also a theme in these Olympics of, like, big comebacks for Canadians, right? Not necessarily from... Uh, a failure or anything, but from health issues, right? There was Max Perot uh, in his winning gold coming back from cancer. There was uh, Cassie Sharp in the half pipe for skiing. I believe she had blown her ACL one year, almost to the day of when she won silver. And Marielle Thompson in the ski cross event, she'd blown her ACL just in March. So less than a year. And she won silver as well after a big knee injury kept her out of Yongchang in 2018. She won the gold in 2014 in Sochi. So a huge comeback for her after an Olympics off. Like there's, It seems like Canada had a ton of stories of people coming back from devastating injury to have great success. So that's another big positive, I think, from these games. Well, I mean, you're going into these games too. Like This was the games where a single positive COVID test might have undone years of work. Mm-hmm. Right. Like a single positive test. If you're in a relay team and one, one of your teammates test positive three weeks before, guess what? You might not be competing. Um, like this was something new for everybody. And that's not to downplay any of the remarkable stories that you just talked about, but everybody in competition and not just in Canada, but I mean, we're focusing on Canada had to deal with this lingering like Rachel Holman and John Morris, the mixed doubles curling. They, it was like, yeah. it was like curling version of the shining, right? Like they had to go in an abandoned curling place and curl at night and then go skiing during the day and hope to God that nobody was near them. So they wouldn't get it right. Like everybody there overcame something at some point, which is to say avoiding the pandemic and then, the daily testing like it, it just is it's just remarkable for everybody the the fortitude to train in pandemic conditions and especially if you're one of the sports where you're not going to get on a Wheaties box you're not going to get an endorsement deal and you got 78 seconds to prove yourself and then you put on the additional layers like it's it's just incredible and it's like the olympics are the very best they're just run by the worst yeah i mean same as every organization in sports, basically. <laughs> FIFA, I think after the things that have broken this year, the NHL. I mean, Rick Westhead single-handedly is exposing the NHL every couple of days. It seems like there's a new breaking story. So if we had like three or four more Rick Westheads out there, I feel like we'd know a lot Katie of Strang, bad things. Katie Strang, Rick Westhead, yep. Mark Lazarus, yeah. Yeah. Yep. It's like a handful of people just like ripping the, the Band-Aid off and we're seeing the dirty underbelly of, I think all these major corporations that deal in sports, like whenever your motivation is purely profit over the sport, you know, it. there's things that get hidden. There's things that go on behind closed doors that the average person would be shocked by. But the, the larger the organization gets, the shadier it gets. And that's like FIFA and the IOC are the tippy top of the worst. Uh, speaking of curling, because uh, Rachel Homan and like, the whole mixed doubles situation and yeah. everyone was disappointed. I feel like curling is the one sport that we can really point to for these games and say that the results were like generally not what we expected at all and, and generally disappointing. And I've been reading that essentially like curling Canada, I don't know what their organization is, is called specifically, like what the actual title is, but Curling Canada. It's just curling Canada. Okay. That's what I expected. Nice. So it was a good guess, uh, has been talking about like doing a deep dive, essentially like introspectively, have they lost the plot of what they're planning? And I find like watching so much curling throughout these games, because it was something that was on often while I was like planning things out and scheduling people. 
I don't think they need to reassess everything. <laughs> like I don't have the incredible knowledge of curling that I do in like hockey. Cause I cover hockey for a living. I don't cover curling for a living, but from what I saw, it really felt like just things didn't go their way. Some people had off days. It's not like their strategy was consistently awful. Like, do you, do you think they need to blow things up and start over, Sean? Like, it, it doesn't seem that way to me. It just seems like things went sideways. I mean, not that long ago, they said the roar to the, the roar of the rings, which is the Canadian Olympic curling uh, qualifying bond spiel, was the de facto Olympics. That wasn't that long ago people said that. Like, to get through just to represent Canada at the Olympics is, in fact, an Olympian task. But you take a look at the, the other rinks that are out there. You take a look at Adine with uh, Sweden. I mean, Eden, your head's been around forever. Um, you take a look at the Americans who are now, you know, curling for bronze and gold. Um, the world has caught up. Like mm -hmm. we talk about hockey and how the world caught up to Canada and the U.S. has caught up and now threatening to pass Canada. It's happening on curling. And yeah, we emerged as Canadians without a gold medal for the first time since 2002. Um, but that means that there was a previous Olympics where they also didn't win gold in men's and women's. Um, and it was the mixed doubles that saved Canada in 2018. So, I mean, those, those rinks, they're, they're playing in Canada. There's cash spiels in Canada. I mean, Rogers Sportsnet has, you know, they own a curling tour. Um, I mean, certainly these rinks are training here, learning from Canadian coaches. Um, so it stands to reason that, yeah. And, and frankly, I think it's, it's a good thing for the sport that, you know, it's competitive and you get a broader audience. And a lot of the same thing, we're talking about growing a game. I love curling. Um, I finally, this was the games where I finally swayed members of my household to watch curling with me. They didn't <laughs> think it was just like boring ice darts. Um, <laughs> it's a wonderful sport. And I think that to have it more globalized in the context of a, of a winter sport is a good thing. But yeah, I mean, certainly Gushu and Rachel Holman and John Morris, they missed by the narrowest of margins. Jennifer yeah. Jones lost for the very first time after running the table in 2014. Running the table is a goddamn hard thing to do. She did it in 2014, stumbled here um, against younger curlers who are, you know, learning the game and studying her. So, I mean, yeah, Canada should expect to win gold, um, but the world's caught up. Yeah. And I think just to add on, because like uh, to the idea of like, whether like curling needs to like, like be assessed or anything like yeah it is a game of inches and sean as you brought up like the the canada and italy game in the the mixed oh. growing it literally like it came down to like measurements it was like <laughs> so, half a millimeter yeah so like i'm like watching i'm like are they N no so it's like <laughs> and at that point it's like it's like what, what are you gonna do but i think well sean you also bring up a point that like because Canada has always been known as like the top, the team to beat when it comes to curling, like, yeah, they're being studied. And I think that that's the thing that's fascinating. And again, I kept talking about it whenever I, would be, I was uh, hosting um, Game Over International on the weekend. Like, I love the fact that you can hear them talk. And for a lot of and and a lot of the moments, what you would hear, and I remember I, I used to, I heard John Morris say this a couple of times, where in their, if they'd be in a, in a certain position, they'd be like, oh, I know him. I know this is what they're going to do. And they would just like openly talk. So it's like, yeah, they, they study each other. They, they know, you know, if they're at a specific end, if they're in a specific location, what's going to happen, what, what's, what to do and what not to do. And, you know, after when you're the best for a, a while, like eventually, you know, the, the book is out on you and, and teams may, may, may practice and strategize, you know, directly to beat you. Like we know this happens in hockey all the time. Like teams will build their teams. Like, Hey, we need to beat Canada. We need to beat the United States. So I think we've gotten to the point as Sean brought up that, you know, one teams are studying Canada and also, you know, just the, the, the pool of talent is just increasing. So I think as disappointing as it might be, I think we can also consider it a positive for the sport overall. I agree. Yeah. I mean, I think Canadians are generally in the boat. For curling like we know that it's pretty fun to watch because it's i find it, it's hard to describe to people who don't watch curling why it's so good but i I liken it a little bit to playoff baseball right where in playoff baseball every single pitch it's like the whole world is hanging on that one play right like every single rock you make a mistake and that that could be it for the whole end right you lose any position any chance to to get your points or like you could have this beautiful setup where you're gonna get an amazing and you're gonna get four points oh you get zero and the other team gets three you're like everything can go wrong or everything can go perfectly right but at the same time there's so much strategy to it there's it's more complicated than like a, a pitcher versus a batter right so you've it's almost like chess and playoff baseball 
And I know it sounds boring, but it's actually super fun. <laughs> I, I'm very much in the corner of team curling as a very entertaining, uh, very entertaining sport. And I love mixed doubles. And I think that that Canada Italy game was probably the most intense moment for me in the entire Olympics where like at the end, you're like, ah, oh, half a millimeter. <laughs> but that game was incredible. It was so good the entire way through because you know that Canada has to win in order to not be eliminated. And Italy's, I believe at that time, either undefeated or had only lost once. And it was just this. It was the best match I thought Canada played that entire mixed doubles uh, tournament. And they just couldn't beat that Italian team. And I don't know. I just thought it was... They didn't get it in the end, but it was just a superb piece of entertainment and it was a superb sporting moment. There was a story uh, out of Vancouver 10 years ago. Jesus Christ, 12 years ago now. Um, New York Times did a story um, about curling and how all of a sudden, because it was now on NBC, different platforms, um, like stock traders, because curling would come on right at the end of the trading day. And all of these traders after the super intense day would sort of start staring because uh, it came across, I think it was CNBC was the affiliate that carried curling and had all of these traders who had just been through the ringer watching curling. And it was like a calm, it was like watching a lava lamp, right? <laughs> and, and it was like really relaxing, but also kind of activated that corner of your brain. One of my favorite parts of the Olympics is that every four years, people discover curling mm. and people rediscover mm. their love for curling. And now it's like, well, maybe I'll watch the Briar in a couple of weeks. I'll, I'll pity Brad Gushu in his rink, by the way, who are going to be home for seven days and then have to go to Lethbridge to compete in the Briar. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that's one of the things that the power of these games is that people will, you know, they might not stick with it, but they might watch it and might even go give it a try. Some of these sports. Absolutely. And I feel like curling is also one of those sports where it's fairly approachable to try. And there's lots of curling rinks especially in uh, larger cities in Canada and smaller cities too. You can, yeah. you can go down on one weekend and, and check it out. I mean, maybe not so much in COVID times. I don't know what the restrictions are in your area. I won't guarantee you that you can, but when uh, things somewhat normalize, yeah, you can go out and check out your local curling rink and have a lot of fun. Uh, but you might be surprised that it's a little bit more physical than you think based on what it looks like. It's, it's a little bit tougher than that. The footwork is, 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 is a, one of those underrated qualities. Like, you know, when you watch a sport and it's like, Oh, that looks easy. And then you try it and it's, and it's like, it's difficult. The footwork is something that may look easy, but like, I know I would fall on my face, like try, <laughs> trying to keep up, trying to keep up with the rock as, as it's uh, sliding down. So Yeah. <laughs> That yeah, like try. just getting that low down to the ice, you got to be able to stretch a little bit. It's uh, oh, yeah, <laughs> you got to be able to be f a little bit flexy. Uh, other things that I wanted to bring up, uh, let's see here, yeah. So, the, the performance overall by Canada because we kind of got into it with the curling there, uh, four gold medals, all of them amazing stories, but it is the lowest number of golds that Canada has earned in a winter olympics since 1994 when they won three now we're kind of on uh the era of like own the podium right where even leading up to vancouver canada was doing pretty well uh, they were consistently improving through like 98 to 20 or 2006 where they were they won 15 medals 17 medals then 24 and the gold was around the same, 6, 7, and 7. And then it was up to 14, 10, and 11 in Pyeongchang, where they got shut out of gold in hockey with uh, the professional men not there and the women losing in the gold medal game. So, like, pretty darn good. It was actually their highest medal count ever at 29 in Pyeongchang. So, arguably even better understanding the hockey situation than they did at home in Vancouver. Is this year a big step down? even though they're essentially on track in total number of medals with 26, which is about the average of the last four Olympics, or is this just a situation where things continually didn't break right for them? Or maybe the athletes who we expect to win gold are not in the right age range. Is it a lull in a few competitive windows? What are we thinking here? Um, oh, I mean, I, I think it can kind of be a combination combination of the thing. I mean, um, to your point, um, Andrew, about saying, like, are there some 
like athletes that maybe we expected to do well that didn't. I mean, I think the the name that has been in my in my head for a while has been uh Ted Yen Bloman um and and for speed skating and it's it's one thing that you know obviously he didn't he didn't finish where he wanted to I want to say his first his first run he finished 10th um but it was it was the comments that he made afterwards that really kind of um sat with me where it, it wasn't from a from a um a sense of just like you know unpreparedness like I, I think just paraphrasing you said like you know like I I was prepared you know I felt like I was good I just like I, I didn't know what happened um and it took place in, in that run and in his other run as well, where he just, uh, you know, finished lower than I think not only we expected, but also he, he expected himself. So I think it's, I think on one, one hand, it can be doing you know, just the nature of, of how things took place. But I also do think there might've been some expectations from individual performers and stuff who may have expected to, to do well or, or to medal in, in specific events or, or, you know, even you look at um, uh, Lori Bluen and, um, and the women's um, women's uh, snowboarding slope style, um, who qualify with I want to say she might have finished sixth or sixth or fourth uh, something like that so I think I think it's a mixed bag of things but but again um, for me I think it's just the moments that I think that are that stand out the most but yeah you, you kind of have to think think of, of a number of those stories a number of people who quote-unquote expected uh, to medal that didn't and maybe I maybe ask and consider what went wrong or or maybe it just you know it just wasn't wasn't their Olympics. You take a look and I mean, Canada still had 68 top eight finishes um, at these games overall. So, I mean, there was a significant number of folks who were in contention. Uh, There were eight fourth place finishes that used to be known as Canadian bronze, by the way, before we started winning stuff. Um, And then there were uh, nine fifth place finishes. So, I mean, there was still a bunch of people who were in the conversation. I think what we want to look at here is is sort of what, you know, Omar was talking about and and also what you were talking about as well, Andrew, is the cyclical nature of what we're seeing. I mean, take a look at, you know, who was the co-flag bearer heading into this? It was Charles Hamelin, who, you know, when we're talking about old folks, he would be a lot closer to me on that old folks spectrum. And he was just at the end of his fifth Olympics game, Olympic Games. You also need to take a look at, and I think you bring up a really interesting point about the trend lines. Um, in the you know, late 90s, early 2000s, that um, when Canada was awarded the Vancouver Games, you, know, you had things like own the podium. And, and you also had uh, private groups that didn't get as much publicity, but things like B210, which are groups of uh, private donors based out of Montreal with some of Canada's richest families involved, um, that was all building towards, let's have an Olympics in 2010 where we can win a medal. Because remember in 2010, you know, we were a nation, the only nation that had never won gold on home soil for an Olympics. We didn't win gold in 1976 in Montreal. We didn't win gold in 1988 in Calgary. So we were good and goddamn going to win a gold medal in 2010. So you get all that cash infusion in a system. You get all of the new training, all of the, the highest training techniques, all of the new gear, the, the, the new physio, the sports psychologist. You get them all for that generation. Guess what? Vancouver was pretty damn good. Sochi was pretty damn good. I think what you're seeing now is maybe that's starting to ebb a bit. I'm not saying all of the money is out of the system, but I'm thinking that you know it might not be invested as aggressively as it would have been before. So maybe we want to take a look at the overall sports system, the funding models and that. But it can also, I think another big part of this is that, yeah, some of our stars from those games are aging out. I mean, you know, even some of our curlers are talking about whether this is going to be their last quadrennial or not. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting subject right like and I, I i think the other thing that i look at is halfway through these games rachel homan kind of took to twitter and talked about how she was feeling and i, I believe it, the mo for the most part what she was doing was she wanted to celebrate somebody else her friend who was competing but she was also talking about like she was at a very like her lowest of low points which it's understandable because of what her and John Morris went through to get there, the isolation, and then devastatingly not making it pack, past the qualifying round. But this whole own the podium idea, I I understand it for Vancouver, and I think overall the program has been a phenomenal success. But should we be in a position where I think of... I, and I can't recall the name now, but I believe it was a woman who was expected to win gold in 
I believe it was Skeleton in 2010. And it was early in the games, and she ended up in silver. And she was in tears, saying like she felt like she let her whole country down. And I just think, is this really the way that we should be looking at the Olympics? Like, winning is great. It is. And we should strive to win. But should it be gold or nothing? I mean... I, I guess it's it's two conversations, right? I mean, I, I think the, the, the business aspect of things will say, yes, yes, gold, because gold makes means more eyes and more eyes means more money. Um, but I, I think if we focus on the gold all the time and, you know, a lot of people might say like, oh, well, you know, let's lose loser's mentality. But like, I think if you only focus on the gold, then we ignore everything else. We ignore we ignore the comeback stories. We ignore the resurgences. We, we ignore the, and this is something we talked about at the beginning of the show. We, we ignore the moments where all the athletes at the end are congratulating each other. Like I, again, at, at the end of the, I think it was at the end of the women's snowboarding slope style. Like they all like were in a, in a huddle, just like hugging each other, like on the ground, just excited for each other. And I think those are the moments that, that, that have, that have to matter. And yes, I know, I know, like, you know, those, those aren't, you know, going to get any dollars or any endorsements or anything. But like, I think when you're, I think when you're at a point where someone is training their, their uh, long, large portion of their lives in a, in a particular thing, they dedicate their lives to this and they get silver, which is an incredible feat, but they feel like they, they, they lost and they're letting people down. I, I think that's where we need to take a step back and really start to think of what's the most important thing here. Is it winning or is it just the fact that, Hey, you made it. You're here. You're on the international stage, and you're representing your country, doing the thing that you love, doing that the thing that you that you've dedicated your your, your life to. Um, so I think that's that's what that's what the focus needs to be. And again, I know that sounds very Disney Channel, but um, but but that's just I, I think that's 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 the thing that needs to be the most um, the most important. It's a philosophical discussion, right? Like I think you know you're looking at nine, 1976 in Montreal, 1988 in Calgary. The funding model was more or less, okay, we have this, we have this pot full of money. We're going to disperse it equally because our approach is we're competing in sport for the sake of sport, right? So um, somebody in biathlon might have the same access to a percentage funding as somebody in bobsled and somebody in downhill skiing and somebody in luge, right? Um, what 2010 and on the podium and that um, sort of necessitated this shift to funding success, Right. So if you are in bobsled and you start winning and you start having success um, through Own the Podium, through B210, which is separate from Own the Podium, you then gain access to more funds because you are now projected to perform well on the Olympic level. So, yes, what that does is that changes what Omar said is the Disney model, I guess, <laughs> um, which is, you know, everybody's out there to have fun to, okay, you, you've done well. You're going to win for us. So you can look at it that way. I think you can look at it another way too, that everybody who's going to the Olympics, I mean, they want to set a personal best. They want to represent their country. And, you know, if they're in that top echelon, they want to win. And, you know, Rachel Holman would expect to win because she's one of the very best in the world. Um, you know, you take a look at, you know, we'll talk about bobsled because I think that's an interesting case study. Um, that, you know, Helen Upperton, who's now a fantastic television analyst and has been through these whole games through CBC. She was a very competitive um, pilot and bobsled. What the funding mechanisms allowed her to do through B210, the private model was um, she was able to go and say, look, you know, I want to be able to compete, but I mean, the Germans have like astrophysicists designing their sled and I've got the toboggan from my mom's garage. Basically um, I need help. I need this extra funding. I've got the results. I need the extra funding to be able to compete. And B210 gave her the funding, gave her access to, to other programs to be competitive. So it is kind of that trade-off is, okay, on one hand, you know, we're funding you. So yeah, the expectations are going to be to win. But the other one is if you're an athlete who wants to compete on the world stage, you also want to be able to say, look, I've got the results. I want to compete at the very top of my sport. I need access to these funds. So we need to figure out, like, do we want, and I love that. I love, like, do we want the Disney model? Because there's merit to it. Like, are we competing in sport for the pure um, sort of, I don't want to say the thrill of competition, but just to say everybody's got a level playing field, or are we going to target and give funding to athletes who can compete for the top of that podium? And what does that entail? I think that's an absolutely valid discussion to have. 
and I feel like that's also a conversation that we don't have a lot is like on top of letting your country down. If you're a breakthrough athlete for Canada in a sport and you're expected to medal or like win gold, like uh, you're, you're Kaylee Humphreys in bobsled and before she started competing for the USA, of course, because she yeah, was going to say too now. soon, man. Yes, too I soon. know. I know. But, <laughs> you know, cause she was kind of our breakthrough athlete in bobsled, right? She was Canada's athlete of the year for God's sakes. A hundred percent. And March. she say she messed up her first Olympics, right? And she didn't medal anywhere on top of feeling like she's letting her country down. She's letting down her sport because they're not going to get as much funding. I find that to be such a crazy thing to think about the, the pressure on these athletes on top of wanting to win for themselves on top of wanting to win for their country. It's also for their fellow athletes and the people coming up behind them that are yeah. inspired by them that now they might have less funding because of something that didn't go right for them. I find that it's hard to be all happy, go lucky about the Olympics. When you think about so much, it's at stake for so many people in the next generation. And which is why you got to kind of celebrate like Canada's, I believe it's their first medal in ski jumping this year. Uh, it wasn't James Crawford. It was the, the team combined in ski jumping. I believe that was their first medal ever in ski jumping, which is crazy. So that sport's going to get a little, a couple coins tossed at it from the program that Canada's running currently. But it, it is a weird thing to think about. Uh, Jesse Blake is in the comments here. Thanks for joining us, Jesse. He said that uh, he's glad that I'm going to get some sleep. Yeah, I got <laughs> eight hours last night for the first time since January 22nd. So feeling very good today. <laughs> yeah, I think that's. And yeah, it, it speaks to what Sean was saying earlier when um when it comes to like the the, the intrigue about the Olympics, like. It, it's tough. <laughs> it, it it is it is complicated. Think, yeah, and I think that's why. Like, I think that's why. Like, shows like, and this is gonna sound like a shameless plug, but I think like what we were doing here with Game Over International, I think was so significant because you know not everyone can wake up at you know or stay up all night and watch watch hockey or watch all of these events and and you know there's only so much mileage you can get out of like reading a poster or you know seeing a seeing a Twitter a tweet or something. I think you know having a platform like this where you can have you know people you know, who are, you know, who are experts like Sean, uh, who just know all this information off the top of the dome, um, can, can just, can talk about, uh, talk about all this stuff and give insight. And again, just like let people know what's going on and what's taking place because, you know, when you have the Olympics taking place on, you know, the other side of the world, I guess, again, relative to Canada, it's a, it's, it's a tough hour, <laughs> definitely, uh, definitely, definitely to go through. So, you know, kudos to you, Andrew, you're doing this like five days a week, man. So, you know, kudos to you there. Well, and thanks for hanging out and uh, doing things for me on the weekend there, Omar, because it allowed me to get a little bit of rest <laughs> and uh, relaxation over this crazy, <laughs> was, this is day 18 that we've been doing this, right? So mm -hmm. it's it's crazy. I'm We'll wrap it up here in a minute because I know it's the evening. Everybody wants to go do their own thing. And I thank everybody for joining us through this journey of the first time we've done Olympics coverage at SDPN. But I do want to hit off, hit off with another more philosophical question i know that the olympics in the winter they're trying to do more to diversify where the medals are coming from uh the summer olympics has so many more medals overall just crazy number of sports compared to the winter olympics i unless i miscounted which is very possible because i was doing it while trying to get my oldest to go to bed but uh <laughs> 109 medals gold medals total for the winter olympics this year 23 medals between cross-country skiing and biathlon now it isn't disregarding those sports at all because i know that they're incredibly difficult and i mean heck there was a guy today who told everyone that he froze his penis from finland while he was doing the the, uh, the mass start 50 kilometer that got shortened to 30 kilometers this year uh you're gonna put yourself through that. You deserve something for uh, sure. Are you There's... saying the race, the race endured shrinkage? Is that what you were saying there? I guess. Yeah, the race. Everybody's suffering some shrinkage there. But uh, twenty-three out of one hundred and nine medals coming from essentially one sport plus that sport with some shooting. There need. There probably should be a little bit more balance in the Olympics, right? Like. I know we talked about it during the show. Uh, I think the last time you were on, Sean, about 
bringing in something like three on three hockey. I know they've tried adding things like mixed doubles in the summer. They brought in like rugby, rugby sevens. I feel like these new events that they've come up with have been really successful and fun. And I'd like to see some more of it. So if you've got any random thoughts about what could be added next Olympics, I want to hear it. Uh, Yeah. I mean, the challenge is with the winter sports calendar is that like a lot of this stuff's really expensive, right? So if you make three on three, are you really making it any more broadly accessible or is it still going to be, you know, the Russian Olympic committee, uh, you know, Finland, Sweden, Canada, the United States, right? It's just going to be same countries, just three people on the ice. Um, I like, I like a lot of the other things that they've had. I mean, snowboard cross was one of the, I think, you know, sleeper hits for us in the household to watch because it is a roller derby on snow. It's incredible. I can't imagine Olympics without curling on the program. Um, like they have added a bunch of sports, but I mean, I think you're limited just by the fact that, you know, in 50 years, there's going to be like three countries that even have natural snow, right? Like it's, it's not a growth industry right now with the winter. Um, so it is facing challenges that you just don't have in summer. Summer is, I mean, it's, it's magnitudes huger and it always will be just because there's more sports and frankly, more of the planet can participate. Yeah. I think that is, that is a good point when it comes to accessibility because yeah when you think about all these all these winter olympic sports like their their equipment there's a lot of equipment you have to you have to go through when you think of like the summer olympics so like yeah yes there's gymnastics but you know you also think of like basketball rugby for example like you can just pick up a ball and start to play but hockey even like you're like you can't just like you know throw on a play pair of skates and just go out there and go out there and try to play like it's it's not it's not going to work out or you know it'll, it'll go south pretty quickly but I think that's the challenge with with coming up with new sports. I think either I don't know if you can come up with a completely new thing, but I think you kind of have to, I guess, find like other avenues, avenues to sports that already exists. And, you know, like, again, then the mixed doubles is something that like people have we, we, we talked about for for a while. And and, you know, and we've you know mentioned how, you know, the intensity of just having two people instead of four um, has been solid. So. I mean, can, can a new idea from there be, from there be brought up? Um, I don't know. Like, can, can we, can we make tubing a thing? Can Olympic tubing be a thing? You gotta, you know, <laughs> but you know, like all kidding aside, I think, I think that's the challenge when it comes to coming up with a new winter Olympic sports is just like, you know, is this going to be accessible for, um, for, for all countries? And if we are creating a new event, like can this be an event that all, all countries can compete and have it and have a, you know, equal op- opportunity to do be successful in, or to you know, to Sean's point, is it's going to be you know targeted towards like the main countries who always do well. So I think that's the, I guess that's the that's the the, the I don't know the the struggle or the difficulty when it comes to that Olympic yeah, tubing. Maybe, would be maybe the the three of us after this, we can go. Tomorrow's a holiday in Ontario. Maybe we can go to our beer league bobsled league and just go <laughs> you know randomly give that a try because that's super accessible. Yeah, so accessible. <laughs> I'm just trying to think of like things that they could add that could be fun and somewhat accessible. What what if they could do like uh, skating cross as opposed to like snowboard cross? Isn't that like the Red instead? Bull? That's the Red Bull crushed ice that you're yeah, talking. Yeah, exactly. About. Right? Like the, it it exists. You could do it. That'd be kind of fun. Be a lot of injuries, I think. Yeah. Hey, I don't know. Innovation. You never know. You never know what, what, what can come to mind. <laughs> Get like a uh, hockey one-on-one. Like, uh, <laughs> imagine that would be, that would actually be pretty wicked. Yeah. No goalies. You have to go like posting in like on street hockey style. Oh my gosh. That'd be funny. Yeah, I mean, I think it'd be fun. I, you throw in some crazy stuff like that. I think you'd get some unlikely people to make. I mean, you do one-on-one hockey. You'd have that person who is like the crazy stick handler from your beer league because like NHLers aren't going to go to do one-on-ones, right? So yeah. it'd be some crazy dude that never made the show that is incredible at stick Barber. handling. Pavel Barber would be the four-time <laughs> medal champion. Oh my gosh. All right. Perfect. All right, guys. Thanks so much for doing this with me. I'm going to wrap it up now. Thanks for everybody for watching. And uh, before we go, though, of course, first uh, Omar and then Sean, 
tell everybody where they can find your stuff. Oh, should I go first or should? Oh, okay. Um, uh, so, uh, I'm on Twitter, Tic Tomar. I do, uh, Leafs gifts. Um, I, uh, do the Maple Leafs report cards, uh, for, uh, the athletic, um, on Yahoo doing, uh, in the mentions and uh, zone time with, uh, Julian McKenzie, also fellow SDPN, uh, person. Um, so yeah, yeah. Um, hopefully the Leafs do something this year. Yay. <laughs> I am on Twitter. I am, it's a really ridiculously complicated handle uh, and I won't bore you with it. I'm also on The Athletic. I have a piece up this afternoon where I go through uh, a few of the things that are going to stick with me through these games, even into my old age. I'll still be able to remember them. Awesome. So definitely (laughs) check that out and check out Zone Time, of course, and follow both these gentlemen on Twitter. Their uh, Twitter handles are in the description of this video and of this podcast, so you don't have to... uh, worry about having to spell it out there (laughs) everybody can go and copy paste thanks everybody for sticking with us for our first time doing this for the olympics game over international will return for the world juniors when they come back in august and i'll talk to the sdpn boys we might maybe cook something up for the women's under 18 since uh they got canceled and then uncanceled and rescheduled now for June. It might not be me hosting, but I feel like we should do something special to keep the ball rolling with women's hockey. And if you really, you know, pushed onto women's hockey and you discovered it and really love it this year, go and check out the Noxie and Cax podcast on SDPN. It's fantastic. You get to know the players. Incredible. It's really fun i mean they pointed everyone towards jamie lee rattray before the olympics started as a player to watch who was an absolute spark plug these whole games incredible player they were right on the money there you cannot miss out on their show uh actually liz was supposed to be on here the show here with us to close things out oh my watch is talking but uh, she had to get called into work so unfortunately she couldn't make it but we are going to do something with her at some point it's gonna be fun we're going to be back at some point, so don't unsubscribe on uh, Spotify or Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. Stay with us, and thanks, everyone, for joining me. Thanks, everyone who came on this show, woke up at 6 in the morning to do this. Mike Stevens. <laughs> yes, Mike Stevens, who finally woke up the third chance. Oh, man. He's going to be, that, that's, that's going to be something that we're going to be talking about for the longest time. Isn't oh, 100%. Awesome? Love you, Mikey. <laughs> All right. Talk to you guys soon. I mean, maybe not that soon. In August, at least, maybe in June. (laughs) What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.